Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie D. in the house, happy to be here. I've got three, I'm going to say good friends. They've been on the show so many times, and we have a very interesting topic for you. I have three buzz quotes to open, and then I'll ask my guests to introduce themselves. So first buzz is from an HBR, Harvard Business Review Executive Brief, and the title of the brief is The CFO Agenda, Transforming the Finance Function. Listen up. Because CFOs have insight into every business unit, and I hope that's not breaking news for you in the finance department and the CFO team. Yes, you do. They have visibility into opportunities that can be unlocked by information-led transformations. However, tasked with guiding the growth of companies, building digital organizations, and transforming the finance function, CFOs must first identify their objectives and then decide whether they will lead with people process or performance. There were your three P's. I got that from a website called Coupa, C-O-U-P-A dot com. I have another quote here. It's from a McKinsey report called Mastering Change, the New CFO Mandate. And for our listeners and our viewers on LinkedIn, Facebook, and our listeners on Voice America Business, you're getting the idea of where we're going with this because I haven't named the topic yet. Listen up. CFOs say their time on transformation would best be spent on role modeling new mindsets and behaviors Ah, setting high-level goals, ah, twice, and communicating the transformation results. When in practice, parenthetically, however, they are most often charged with traditional financial-oriented responsibilities. That's McKinsey.com. And one more quote from a gentleman named Paul Ainsworth, who is an international CFO. He's worked for many companies, and he says, behavioral competencies are key to the business partnership role. A seat at that table must be earned. A CFO needs to be a visible leader in the business, an excellent communicator, and an influencer. Curiosity is often an attribute, often highlighted as a required skill. My panel want to nod yes, you agree with all of this? Okay, now let me get to the meat and bones here, what we're talking about today. Modern planning and analysis transformation has many benefits to organizations. We're talking to you, our business leaders around the world, listening to and watching the program. Benefits include, well, you know this already, extending planning across your business units and lines of business, LOBs, connecting real-time with ERP, adopting predictive planning, as a standard part of your process. It's great, you've got technology, it's powerful, it can help you meet your enterprise-wide goals. Great, just get started, but wait a minute. Is tech the entry point to getting this done the best way? We think it's a little bit different. Adopting a modern extended planning and analysis process goes beyond merely adopting and adapting new technology. It needs to include and start with, and here's our premise, a significant process transformation led by you in finance. Raise your hand when I call your name, Pras Chatterjee. Hi, Pras, the sponsor of this series. This is 11 years. Pras, I can't believe it. I'm watching you growing up before my very eyes, except we just started on Zoom two years ago. Don't make any comment back to me. Brian Kalish at Kalish Consulting. Hello, Brian, back again. Happy to see you. And another returning guest, David Dixon at Truqua, an IBM company. Congratulations on that for their take on how finance can create effective and sustainable process changes using a people, process, and technology framework. The title of this episode is Aligning with Planning and Analysis Transformation, 
process changes. There we go. Bonnie D in the house, happy to be here. I know it was a long-winded opening, but we had a lot to tell our listeners and our viewers. So let's go around the table. I'm going to make a blanket suggestion to all three of my guests. I'm going to say, since you've all been on the show so many times, especially Pras, who's sponsored and been with me all these years, I think he was five when he started. I don't know, my 11 years, or maybe 10. Okay. I'm guessing there's about 10 people in the world collectively who don't remember the three of you. So when you give your bio, update those 10 people because everybody else already knows who you are. Pras, you're up first here. Go, go ahead and welcome. Thanks, Bonnie, and great to be back again. And um, hey, everyone. So Pras Chatterjee, I'm part of the product marketing team at SAP, focusing on planning and analysis, which is my passion. I come from a planning background because I think CFOs deserve a chance and this, everybody are under them to really drive strategic initiatives within the organization. And that's really my passion. And that's why I'm here and excited to be back. Thank you very much. Anything new going on that you want to update people on? Anything new? We're not getting personal here, but yeah, anything- no worries. Anything new in your organization? And how do you feel about 11 years with this show with me? Pretty Well, I mean, it doesn't feel like 11 years because it's been going by so quickly. And I love every day of those 11 years that we've been working together. Uh, with regards to our organization, yeah, we've been doing a lot of really cool things with technology, bringing XP&A together, uh, you know, catering to the different lines of businesses. You know, we know that everybody plans and we're helping everybody plan better. So I think that's part of my mandate. In terms of personally, last time I was here, I talked about entering the New York City Marathon. This time, nothing very as quite as exciting uh, other than some vacation plans this summer, going to hit New York City and Montreal, Canada, some cultural icons in the you know, tourism world, I guess. There you go. Yes, I'm a New Yorker, born and bred. And so New York, watch out, Pras is coming. We'll just say that. There we go. Thank you, Pras. Brian Kalish, welcome back. Always happy to see you. And would you please reintroduce yourself to everyone, Brian? Absolutely. So I'm, I always hate trumping people, but I believe Pras and I have been working together for 14 years. So that's the longest. And David and I have known each other for about five years. So it is, it is, a, it is a little, you know, family reunion whenever we get together. And you and I have known each other for about five years, Bonnie. That's so it's right. been wonderful. Um, so Brian Kalish, uh, 25 years on the corporate side, moved into the nonprofit, started my own practice about un- unbelievably almost seven years ago. Um, so I'm really focused on helping organizations create a culture of data-driven decision-making. So this topic's so germane to you know, my, my bread and butter, my, my, my blood and being, in the sense it's all about people, process, technology, and mindset. And you have to have all of them. So not to ever try to correct anyone on the HBR, um, I would say it's not an or, it's an and, right? You need to have all the pieces together. Um, and what I would say is it, it's just been an incredible time. I mean, I know there's a lot going on in the world and we have all these challenges. But in all honesty, I think in our world, uh, in the forecasting, planning, data analytics world, uh, 20 was busier than 21, 21 was busier than 20, and 22 is off the charts. So part of it is the world is reopening, um, mixing you know, work with business. So I took my first international trip three weeks ago since COVID started, or as I affectionately refer to BC. Um, so I went, I was in London and Dubai. And what is tremendous about all the work that we do, it's the same conversation. So if it's in Washington, DC, where it's where I'm located, whether it's in London, whether it's in Atlanta, whether it's in Dubai, these topics that we address on formats like this are truly universal. So I just think that the year is only going to be busier. I, I'm just shocked 
because I also teach. And so, you know, your textbooks are a little bit old. And when we talk about uncertainty, I mean, we're dealing with, I would argue is probably the most uncertain period of time that any of us have truly lived through. And I know that sounds hyper, you know, like hyperbola, but I, I truly believe it. I just don't think we've ever seen anything in our work, I would say in our work careers. Thank you, Brian. Very interesting. And what you said about this topic being universal, and it's the same story, but I guess with different flavors and different nuances, and you're very, very busy. I think that's why, Pras, I'm directing this comment to you. I think that's why Financial Excellence has continued to be such an important series Absolutely, yeah. with listeners around the world and now viewers. I, I was convinced that Financial Excellence, years ago when we named the series, people thought they were going to get tips on stock purchases and where to get the cheapest gas, which now would be very helpful. Summer 2022 is like 5 and $6 a gallon. My answer is I work from home. I don't go anywhere. And then we go to the grocery store. They keep saying, you've earned 360 62 points to get 20, 30, 40 cents off a gallon of gas. And I said to them, I go one mile a week in my car. I still have 200 miles on the gallon I bought on the, the tank I filled two months ago. I'm sorry, I can't use the points because I don't go anywhere. So anyway, just, just interesting. But thank you to speaking to the universality of our topic. And I will relate that. I think I hear a teapot going off. I will relate that to financial excellence uh, in terms of the longevity and the applica applicability process of this topic because every company has to manage finance somehow, somewhere, some way with someone, and the topic is important. On that note, David Dixon, you're up. Welcome back. Please reintroduce yourself. Yeah, sure. So just turned 50 this year. And, what? Uh, wait, yeah. wait, wait. You, you, you got you to gotta let that one sit there for a Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I know. When I when I first started my career, everybody thought I was still in high school. Um, and uh, But it's been 27 years in this industry. And uh, I got to relate to you know what Brian was saying in terms of the rate of change. I mean, my first job out of school was with SAP. Uh, but uh, I spent my whole career fine, you know, focused on finance and analytics and uh, the rate of change and what's happened in the time frame is it's pretty incredible. Um, but uh, about uh, in 2010, um, I started uh, my own company with a, with a good friend of mine, Scott Karencross, he and I were buddies. And we started a company called Truqua, which was then acquired by IBM in, in 2020, November 2020. So now we're keeping the brand and we represent our finance transformation capabilities at, at, uh, at IBM. And so, uh, you know, running, you know, the whole, the whole uh, finance domain and, and, and uh, especially applying what we call exponential technologies and, and uh, you know, the, the latest and greatest, right. Uh, to, to, to affect, um, well, just to be able to survive in this world, right. And adapt to the chaos. So, uh, so that's, that's me. Adapt to the chaos. Very, very interesting. Well, congratulations on your acquisition by IBM. That certainly is a, must have been quite a coup for you. Did you celebrate a big oh, day? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and been celebrating every year and <laughs> as we grow. Yeah, as we grow, and uh, just been actually last uh, this past week with a bunch of our executives. So I went up to our, our headquarters in Armonk. Um, I grew up in that area, so I grew up actually, you know, with a bunch of IBM families, but never got to visit the campus. It was pretty exciting for me to to go there and and and, and meet and have the dinners, and then. Uh, and then we had our all hands meeting. So we have got all our whole team together and celebrated mm -hmm. at the Shed Aquarium in the later in the evening with our families and kids. So it was, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a, a great experience. Have to celebrate. Who is it? Did you just say adapting to the chaos? Or was that Brian? Who said that? I said that. You yeah. said that. 
That was interesting. <laughs> adapting to the chaos or adapting, I would say, with the chaos or in the chaos. Right? <laughs> the maelstrom, yeah. adapting in the chaos because it's around us. Okay, let's move on. I'm hearing noise like somebody's got a whistling teapot. Do you hear it? Everybody hear it? No, no tea. Well, I want a cup of tea if, if somebody's making it, please. I'll take Earl Grey or Lady Grey or, or English breakfast would be fine. Thank you. No sugar. Okay, let's go to the part of the show where I've asked my guests to send me a quote from a fictional TV or movie character or a song lyric that has nothing to do with finance or CFO or planning specifically, and they're going to relate it to the topic. So Process sent us a quote from Homer Simpson, voiced by Dan Castellaneta. And of course, The Simpsons, this one, Process, I did my homework, season one, episode four, originally aired January 28th, 1990. So that's 1990, we're not 20, that's 32 years and approximately five months ago. Okay, can you believe that? Here is the quote. Oh, and the, the, uh, the title of the episode was There's No Disgrace Like Home. Okay, quite an episode. And the quote is, I don't know, Marge, trying is the first step towards failure. Well, that's an interesting twist. Brass, I have to ask you, how did you find this quote? Talk to me. You know what, the quote is actually, I mean, just to back up before we get into the quote, uh, last week, uh, we had a reunion of sorts without you, Dave and Brian and myself. We actually, by chance, met up in Washington and National Harbor, Maryland at the Gartner CFO conference. And part of the theme there was about trying. And I, during the keynote, which I found very inspirational, what they talked about was finance and finance, not just attempting small things, but trying many things, many attempts at, uh, you know, different projects, different initiatives and transformations. So I thought, you know, it was actually the perfect quote with Homer, where Homer's looking at failure. Forget failure. We're leading to success and not just success, the success exponentially. Create a lot of wins with small projects all across the board and, you know, use that as momentum to drive initiatives further and really uh, spark the voice of finance as a leader within the organization. So, uh, yeah, that's really where the quote came from. Very, very interesting. I appreciate that. And in my homework, I discovered that the episode is inspired by the comedy of Laurel and Hardy, and it actually featured cultural references to the films Citizen Kane, Freaks, and the Batman and Twilight Zone television series. And when the BBC started airing The Simpsons in November 96, this was the first episode they aired. Interesting, there's no disgrace because the BBC aired it out of order. So they aired number four instead of number one. So there you go. I, I really appreciate, I don't know if you all get the idea, but I love researching the quotes. I learned so much and I, I never know how much to share on the air, but thank you very much, Bras. I'm glad you, you shared that one with us. Let's go to Brian's quote. This, is a, this was an interesting one. Um, the movie is Kicking and Screaming, 1995, and kicking and the word and is spelled out A-N-D because I think there was a different with an ampersand. 1995, comedy drama film. I love how they combine the genres, Brian. The character is bartender Chet. That's all his name is, Chet, C-H-E-T, played by Eric Stoltz. Some people say this is the best role Eric Stoltz ever made. The movie was about a group of college graduates who refused to move on with their lives, each in their own peculiar way. It has some interesting people. I didn't know most of the names in it. And it's shot at Occidental College. Okay. And here is the quote. Here's a joke. How do you make God laugh? Make a plan. And that's really a twist on, on some famous quotes we know from other sources. Brian, how'd you find this? And what does this have to do with our topic? Like, I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> 
So I know the movie. I love the movie. Uh, to your point, if anyone is interested in looking up the quote, yes, you need to use the word and because if you add, use an ampersand, it is actually a movie with Will Ferrell, Mike Ditka and uh, Robert yes. Duvall. Very yes. different premise. Which is where I went first when I was researching the quote. Right. I said, Wait, what is, is he going to find any... here? Because Eric Stoltz wasn't in the list of, of people. And I said, how could he be in a movie and not be listed? So I found it. OK, go ahead. Well, I think, and again, and, and, and Pras talked about the fact that, again, we had this informal uh, reunion last week in a conference 20 miles from my house, so I'm very happy there was no airplane ride involved. But it's just, it's just the concept. You, if you think about it in business so much, we talk about our plans, our plans, our plans. Very rarely do we talk about our planning, our planning, our planning. And as you said, there are just so many different quotes and so many different ways of looking at it, you know, so I'm cheating a little bit. I'm using quotes to support quotes, but, you know, you know, John Lennon, you know, life is what happens, you know, while you're busy making other plans. You know, Eisenhower said, you know, plans are useless. Planning um, is essential. Uh, von Molk was the whole idea of, you know, in the military term, you know, plans are useful until you actually make first contact with the enemy. And then, you know, and then the, my favorite, of course, is the, is the great, you know, um, philosopher Mike Tyson, who is everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yes. And so that's the whole idea is that I spend so much time, you, you work with organizations and they'll show you their plans. But again, by definition, the plan is you are coming up with an idea of what something is going to be. And by definition, it will be different, you know, and you have to be able to adapt to it. That's so that's why planning and I know we touch on scenario analysis. It's that process that really what's so important to me is we have to move out of this world of reacting. So maybe kind of what David was talking about reacting or, or uh, to the chaos to responding to the chaos because reacting is emotional and immediate responding is thoughtful and more uh, gives you the luxury to think about if this were to happen, how will we respond? So I love the quote because it's just always you get, you know, it's like, well, we're, we're not on plan. It's like, well, we're pretty much not on plan day one, right? Because something's changed, right? I didn't, I, I, I would assume most organizations didn't plan for gasoline to be tapping over $5 a gallon, have a shooting war in the Ukraine, have 6 million jobs open in America that we don't have people for. It wasn't in the plan, but that doesn't work. You know, again, we work in this world of, of high volca, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And it's great to have plans. But what's really important is what I consider almost like the um, going to the gym and, and working out for your sport. That's what planning is, is, is building up the pieces so that when the challenge confronts you, you're ready to respond. I like that definition. The plan is basically building the skills, building the infrastructure, building the mindset, which is a key word on our topic today. Very interesting, Brian. Very interesting take. I could go around the table and get comments on that, but I want to get David Dixon's quote in here. This is an interesting one. The quote is from Dr. Sam Beckett, played by Scott Bakula. The TV show is Quantum Leap, and I know Press got all excited when he heard that because that's one of his favorite series, too. American sci-fi TV series created by, well, Donald P. Belisario. Who else would have created something like that? NBC, five seasons, 1989 to 93. Beckett plays, uh, Beckett is a physicist who involuntarily leaps through space and time during experiments 
in time travel. Very, very interesting. It was ranked, David, number 19 on TV Guide's top cult shows ever back in 2007. And they're supposed to have a continuation this September. Did you know that? They're trying to bring it back. So that should make everybody happy. Here's the quote. Leaping about in time, I found there were some things in life that I can't change. And there are some things that I can to save a life, to change a heart, to make the right choice. I guess that's what life is about, making the right choice at the right time. Oh, that's so deep, David. You made me read all of that. <laughs> David, I don't know how Scott Bakula would have said. I don't think he has a very distinctive, memorable voice that I could have emulated. David, help me out here. What does this have to do with our topic? Yeah, I know it's a bit metaphysical, huh? And uh, you know, broad. But you know, what I, what I, uh, there's a several allusions, you know, to to quantum leap that uh, that I think you know pertain to the the conversation at hand. And you know, one is just you know his his whole point of knowing what you can change and what you can't change, which is an allusion to driver based planning and looking at variables and the things that you can control versus the things that you're responding to uh, in the market that you don't control. Uh, and building models uh, that 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 take that into account, but then along those models, you know, I, you know, we know that computing just gets better and better, and the power of the computer just gets stronger and stronger. And you know, here at IBM, we're really excited about the prospects of quantum computing and what that's going to do for scenario planning and Monte Carlo analysis, and being able to look at all a lot of different possibilities, maybe not all the possibilities, but looking at various possibilities. Because you're talking about, yeah, there's no one plan. You know, the plan is going to be obsolete. So what about the notion of multiple plans? What if? And playing out the different odds and saying, hey, you know, what can we do there? And so, so the, you know, the quote was, uh, you know, uh, could be applied to a lot of things, you know, but as it relates to, you know, the business world and business life, it's, it's about, you know, the, the possibilities. And what I also liked about the show was he was going back in time and changing you know, what happened, right? He would go back and so is these what if, hey, we could go back in time and change something, would it make a difference or not? Or what would change after it? And so uh, in a lot of cases where we're, 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 we're doing that, you know, in business in our forecasting processes. Thank you very much. Thank you to the three of you for picking such interesting quotes and going back and in time, I love the Simpsons quote, seriously, from season one, 32 years ago. How dare you? I love it. Thank you very much. All the way up to Quantum Leap. I wonder if Scott Bakula's Dr. Beckett went back in time and could visit Homer Simpson. Well, that's <laughs> probably not back in time enough. Thank you all very much. Let's go to the discussion statement part of our show. I'm going to pick a statement from each of you. I've already put one for Pras and one for Brian in the in the chat notes here. Private chat. David, I'll get around to picking one for you. I'm going to read Pras's statement. We're looking at number two actually here. And David, by the way, you used your statement number four when you were explaining your quote a minute ago. So I've already crossed that out. So we won't pick that one again. Uh, I'm going to read Pras's statement number two. Pras, you're going to unpack it, please. Take about three minutes. And then I'm going to ask Brian to agree or disagree. Brian, you know Pras. It's okay if you disagree. And then, David, you get to agree or disagree with either or both about process statement and what Brian said. Then I'll pick a statement from Brian, go around the table, and one from David. Let's see what we get. So here we go. Statement number two from Pras. The effects of AI, integrated systems, and analytics are a game changer, love that word, for organizations that embrace them. Embracing these tools cannot be done in silos, but need to be done as part of an overall strategy that requires processes to change, which is our theme today, but the benefits include adherence to the overall corporate strategy. That's a lot. Pras, why don't you unpack this, please? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, just to take a step back, I think when I think about the, uh, when, we, when we think about overall corporate strategy, it's not even just um, where the organization wants to go. It's about the people as well, the people internally. And let's start with finance. Um, I've been doing, um, reading a lot of research by a group called FP&A Trends, and they talk about the skills that finance and especially those in FP&A need to move forward. There's obviously, um, you know, data or systems analyst skills or finance analysts, people that understand the systems that can support finance. But they also talk about data science as well. People that can understand overall data, data across the enterprise, not just finance data, but operational data, um, maybe social media data that helps you understand sentiment analysis and bring all this data in into a integrated system so that you can really understand this as, you know, consume this in a holistic manner. So that might be through analytics, but also through AI and predictive skills as well, because we know that modern planning solutions have predictive built into it. Uh, it doesn't matter what solution you use, or you can have robust ones built by your data analysts. Uh, and the idea behind this is that it really helps you do a lot of the simulations and forecasts and as such. I think David talked about the chaos and planning. I mean, there's always gonna be chaos, but once you're presented with the chaos, it's about running alternative scenarios, um, maybe some of the Monte Carlo scenarios, uh, simulations that David mentioned as well and such, and really getting an understanding of what the possibilities are, where you are now and where you can be. And um, I think it was mentioned before to have multiple plans, bringing multiple plans into the fold so you have a strong understanding. And the key then is to take this a step further because you can't just do the, these plans and these processes and silos. It's gotta be corporate wide. So it's really the responsibility of the CFO to talk to his or her peers, the chief HR officer, the chief revenue officer, sales officer, CEO, and really make sure that everybody in the organization aware is aware of the new capabilities the finance has, relies on finance and works with finance to create a, pro a process that effectively you know, creates this dependency on finance so that everybody can work together to drive these processes further and use these tools to corporate advantage. So that's Thank where I'm going with that. Thank you very much, Pras. Perfect for our theme, obviously. Brian, let's go to you. Agree or disagree with Mr. Chatterjee? What do you think? Oh, uh, overwhelmingly agree. I mean, so it's, all, it's always a nice when you have a conversation as, and we learn how we use our words. You know, it's, I would say, and, right, because that's additive, <laughs> not but, right? right? So what I'd say to, to add to what uh, Pras was saying, I mean, when you start talking about data science, I think one of the things that's really important for organizations to understand is you want to have business data science. And the reason for that is, a, you know, we can go through all sorts of research. So that's what we swim in and, and, and enjoy. But 90% of data science projects fail. And they fail because they're not solving for a business problem. And so one of the challenges that organizations have is taking this great skill set, right? So this is additive to everything, but having people that understand the business. So again, anyone who's listened to me in the last 20 years understands my, my FP&A focus. But it's that same skill set. Well, I, 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 when I think about my data scientists, I want them again to be quants, they have the skill, but also be storytellers, which is critical. But they need to understand the business because if they don't understand the business, they're doing tremendous analysis, but they're not providing me with insight, right? They're generating a lot of information. And I've used this analogy before. We're all, the, five, the four of us are in a room, everyone has a tremendous amount of information that the others don't have. But what I care about from a business setting is insight. Tell me something that I don't know, but is actionable. And the other piece that I would add, because I, I think press is, is spot on, 
is that whole idea of integration, right? So we take all our systems and basically um, when we have a change in one part of the business, we want it to flow through the entire organization. So again, that just increases our ability to react in, this, in the chaos and as it pivots and change faster and faster. So again, I would, you know, I agree a hundred percent and add a couple other thoughts. Thank you very much. Let's go to David Dixon. Agree or disagree? You've got a lot to chew on here. What Pras said and Brian's comments. And but or if, go ahead, David. I would put a, another and there. I, I tend to agree, right, uh, with a lot of this. You know, we're, we're directionally, yeah, we have to invest in the skills and the capabilities. Uh, the only but maybe is just simply that as we talked about, right? It, it's you know, when you have a plan, it 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 you know, it, it, things start to get messy, right? And uh, there was a, a strategist by the name of Henry Mintzberg that talked about emergent strategy that were more like making you know kayak decisions than a ship captain plotting a you know a long term course. So, we, but the but the fundamentals of of investing in the skill sets, building out our knowledge and capabilities. Because the thing that I'm looking at based on you know what you have described is you know we have the challenge of collaborating human to human and different across different departments and lines of business to try to integrate our plans. But then now we're being tasked in the future, it will now and in the future to start collaborating with the computer, start to work with machine, you know, learning uh, algorithms and forecasts. And, and there is a distrust, right? There's always been a distrust of what the computer spits out if you don't understand it. And trying to build, you know, that, that level of understanding and trust and, and comfort with what you know the the machines are doing and i you know i worked with a client who really you know their objective was to take the human bias out of their forecast they realized that there's you know sandbagging there's political aspects to building forecasts and how do you you know um fact check everybody and make sure that everyone's being objective uh and you know we know computers are highly objective and totally fact-based uh, and so, but you can't, you know, but at the same time, it's also computers are flawed for that reason too. They'll, they'll take an outlier or, you know, amplify it. So you always have this, the future is the collaboration between humans and computers. And that's a, you know, we have a hard time trying to collaborate among ourselves. I mean, just getting, you know, uh, CFOs and CIOs to meet and, you know, and agree is, is, you know, uh, uh, I would say in the minority than the majority. Right. So, so there's, there's a lot of challenges and that's, that's the chaos, I guess, reference, you know, uh, earlier. Thank you, Pras. That was quite an interesting yes. kickoff to our discussion. So much comes in. And when we think of finance and CFO and planning, we don't normally say words like emotional and people getting along together and who's hitting whom at the table, David. I'm thinking that <laughs> I said in the beginning, right? A seat at a table, the seat at the table. The question is who's got a big stick is going to hit you on the other side of the table because they don't want to listen to you or they don't agree with you. This is the people side of finance that we don't usually talk about, Pras. That's why I was so happy when you brought me this topic because we're looking not just at process but at human beings and david to your point i, I think of algorithms it's the question of who wrote the code for that algorithm what were their prejudices their background their their pontifications their theories their who they are is built into whatever there's there's no human without some kind of human characteristics right so it's always built into something so you're saying computers and people it's still about the people and that's that's what you're trying to deal with. Pras, I'm sorry to do that, but I, I had to comment. This is really exciting and it's something that companies need to pay attention to if they haven't already. Pras, any comments to wrap that one up before I move on? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think for me, I mean, like both Dave and Brian, uh, you know, brought up some great points to add to mine. And I think the key is for F finance overall to really look at your skill sets, look at where you are right now, and what you can do to grow to adapt to new technologies and to grow not just in terms of you know learning about the processes, learning how you can intermingle with these uh, future technologies, whether it's AI, machine learning, or quantum computing. So, number, I mean, at the very basic, so you can speak to it in an intelligent manner and really understand how it complements the way you currently work and how it will complement it in the future and how you can use it to your advantage. And people you bring into your organization going forward. Isn't yep. that interesting? Who you hire, whom you hire, what their, shall we say, finance slash emotional intelligence is and how they will cope or deal with what your, what your planning is or planning was. Thank you very much. Let's move on to a statement from Brian. I'm looking at number one here. You say linear plans limit flexibility in the planning process to account for uncertainty and respond to varying conditions. Finance leaders need to develop contingency responses by embedding scenario planning capabilities in the planning process. Mr. Kalish, talk to us. I know your computer fan is going nuts there, but just talk over it. It's fine, as long as we know what it is. Go ahead, Brian. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, again, you 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 never want to live in the times that we're living in from a you know from a complexity standpoint, but it just highlights the fact that you know, you know, just something as simple as the beginning of the year. If you thought about your plans and you think about everything that we had learned over the last two years, what's going on with supply chain, what's going on with labor, obviously components of inflation. So you're building all out these scenarios that have all these elements to them. Um, I would say most people missed a shooting war in Europe, right? And that completely changed your plan, right? So that's the idea is, is the, given the fact that we don't live in this calm, simple world, we are not going back to where we were. You know I mean? I know I'm sure it's a completely overused term, the new normal, but it will be a new normal. It, we're just not going back to where we were because of everything that we've been through, right? We're, we're a product of the experiences that we've been through. And so we're not the same people we were two years ago in the way that we do things. So again, you know, when we think about you know, all the things that can go into planning. So whether it's internal or external factors, so right, we think about economic, environmental, geopolitical, social, technological. So we all acknowledge there's a lot of things that are going to happen and can potentially change in our world. Um, but then we find, again, going through good research, only about 30% 30 30 of companies regularly or always use scenarios. So there's a huge opportunity for organizations when they're involved in the planning process is to embed more and more what if scenario opportunities. And you know, the pushback that we get is that, oh, scenario planning, it's too much time. You know, we evaluate too many scenarios and none of them happen. Um, and then we really, and this is what's important, is, is they don't drive action and accountability. And what I try to, to, to share with, with, whether it's my students, whether it's with clients, whether it's with peers, is that, you know, the future success of your company depends on the decisions that you make today. And so again, I, I said it earlier, but you know, planning permits us the opportunity to respond and to rather than to react. Because again, we can go through the research, we see the impact if you respond is lower and your reaction is faster than if you're in a react process. So I would say, you know, really, you know, if we think about those three big challenges, it takes too much time, great. You know what we should do? Start simple, identify key highly volatile factors that impact our performance 
you know, if you sit there and say, oh, we, you know, we, we, we just evaluate too many scenarios. Well, then, and it kind of touches on a little bit what David was saying was that we need to use a standardized approach to prioritizing scenarios based on a driver based model. And then as far as struggling you know, to drive action and accountability, look, life is full of trade offs, right? We're, you're not going to have this perfect world that everything fits. So what you want to do is you want to plan for the trade offs in advance. Because don't forget, no action is a decision. Absolutely. It's turning that light switch on or off, right? Do or do not, there is no try. Quoting the sage <laughs> Yoda. Somebody used that on my radio show last night. I told them when I was learning binary math back in what we used to call junior high school, it's either a one or a zero. Forget about the, the light switch on the wall that has the dimmer on it. It's either on or it's off. Doing nothing is a decision as well. David, you're nodding. Let's go to you. Comments on Brian, please, David Dixon. Yeah, no, I, I definitely see that uh, that is a change that's going to need and will happen among you know finance organizations is that they can't just have like one plan. They can't just do a low, medium, high. They really, you know, with the power of computing and the power of you know artificial intelligence and machine learning, they, we're getting to the point where the world is so volatile, you have to start, you know, playing the game of odds, right? But you, you know, there's the expression statistics, statistics and lies, you know, you, 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 you know, you, you have to have the, you know, intelligence and, and the capabilities and the culture to understand, um, you know, the extent of the technology, but you got to leverage it. I talk about, you know, uh, you know, this is like, you know, more of a Dave Dixon, you know, quote of like switching from uh, black swans to pink elephants. So black swan is a is a term that Nicholas Taylor coined, and the notion I think it was a pop, you know it was a term that was popularly used in the 16th century that a black swan is like a mythical creature that you know would never exist, and then they figured in the 17th century that uh, they actually are you know everywhere in Australia, right? And it's a common you know thing to see a black swan, but he used it in the context that hey, if you can't predict it, you can't anticipate it, then when it happens. It you know wrecks havoc, right? It 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 uh, you know really impacts, and you'll see. And so his point: you can't predict everything, and by nature, the things that are the most wildest, craziest scenario that you can imagine has the highest impact on your organization. But I would say that there's a lot of black swans that we can actually anticipate if we just push the boundaries of scenario planning and push out. So that is really the rare ones, like the pink elephant, right? And those exist too in nature. Um, right there, they're albino or, or have, you know, um, you know, some pigmentation genetic uh, uh, change. And, and so they exist, but they're rarer occurrences, right? So I, I look at, uh, you know, the future of scenario planning is to be able to, um, you know, minimize or, or, or try to lessen, you know, those, uh, the, the impact that these scenarios, you know, have on organizations by just being able to anticipate the fundamentals, right? What happens if, you know, I can't, you know, there's supply chain disruption. You know, who cares what the cause is? But I know that there's certain things like prices or inflation. These are things I can simulate in any, you know, economy. Thank you, David. I have to tell you that our show last month on this series was called, perhaps you know I was going to bring this up, The Black Swan versus Transforming Your FP&A from Good to Great. So <laughs> I had done my research on that and The Black Swan, the book, 
Uh, the Impact of the Highly Improbable author and former options trainer Nassim Nicholas Taleb focuses on extreme impact of rare and unpredictable outlier events and the human tendency to find simplistic explanations for these retrospectively. Interesting. And the, New York, the Sunday Times described this as 12, one of the 12 most influential books since World War II. Interesting. I had to tell you that. So that was a topic we brought up last month that I thought that was very interesting that you brought it up again. I like the pink elephants. I hear there are meds for that. Please don't go there. Pros, <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to, Pros, go ahead and comment on what Brian said and what David commented on. You're up. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I'm not sure if this is an end or a but, probably somewhere in between, but uh, you know, fully agree. But I think what we have to look at as well is that um, for finance to embrace scenario planning in the context that Brian mentioned, uh, it's really got to be a process this change and uh, mindset in the sense that there's a traditional way for finance to do business. You know, oftentimes I talk with FP&A organizations and they still start with an annual budget in the summer timeframe that goes on for three months. That's done in very granular detail. And as soon as December hits, I think Dave mentioned the budgets are obsolete as soon as they're published and they're obsolete right away. And they're always trying to reconcile to the budget and it's filled with sandbagging and things like that. And I think there's a world where, you know, if organizations adopt processes like beyond budgeting and such, where they're looking ahead. So, you know, the profession is called financial planning and analysis. And that's where the scenario planning comes in. If you so if you discard some of the financial planning and I'm not saying discard it maybe, but spend less time on it, spend a lot more time on the analysis and doing scenario planning, uh, it's maybe less reactive and more proactive. And in terms of that being the proactive, you can, whether it's black swan or now pink elephants, I'm going to refer to as uh, pink elephant events uh, that occur. So, you know, wheat prices, commodity prices going up, uh, oil prices going up or whatnot, uh, geopolitical incidents and such. You as a finance individual are able to use scenario plans to come up with lots of outcomes. And if you have that seat at the table, that allows you a chance to present these outcomes and discuss it in an intelligent manner and maybe path a, you know, chart a new course to go forward. So just something to think about. Thank you very much, Brian. I'm going to go back to you to wrap up this one before I move on with one of David's statements. Brian? Sure. Well, first of all, just to go back to something that David said, which is the causes don't matter. So, for example, I did an article when the crisis started in the Wall Street Journal, and they were like, well, shouldn't have FP&A been able to predict the pandemic? And you're like, well, no, because it doesn't matter. What we care about are the outputs, right? In the sense that, well, tell me, what are we going to do? Again, from a scenario analysis perspective, what are we going to do if sales drop 10, 20, 30, 40%? You know, again, it doesn't matter whether it was a war, whether it was a pandemic. That's what that's not what our focus is. It's like, here's the scenario. What's our response to it? And just to kind of close, I'll say the, in my notes, what I wrote was the power of scenarios is awareness. And we've kind of touched on this. I just want to echo a few of the comments. It's awareness that encourages thinking outside of our organizational boundaries, competitive advantage. It drives agility and ability to move more quickly and time. It provides time to evaluate options, aiding in better decisions. And again, not just to keep to giving an ads to David, but you know, when we think about scenario analysis, what we want to do is start with the most likely version of what the future will look like based on a driver-based model and build from there. Thank you very much. And while I'm listening to the three of you talk, and Brian, that was a great conversation starter. Thank you. I'm thinking of the analogy with a good drama movie or TV series. Think of how they plan the scenarios that no one expected. Raises the bar, keeps the drama going. Who wasn't killed on the boat when it exploded? Who had a child from a girlfriend 35 years ago who now wants to inherit the empire? 
who did or didn't understand where a certain painting was hidden or the clues under the I'm watching Riviera, by the way, the clues under a desk in a hidden safe room where one of the sons goes for his shooting up and hidden with the second wife's background and a fake passport. All the scenarios are planning by in drama, and that's not what you want in a company. That's where I was going with this, Brian, out of respect to you. The, the, the scenarios that make a good drama are not what you want in your company, right? There we go. I, you knew I was going to get to the point anyway, somewhere in there. Let's go to David Dixon. David, I'm picking your statement number one because I looked up most of the elements in the statement. I have no idea what they mean. So I'm just going to read it. I think you're all going to enjoy this. We already did the black swan and the pink elephants from David. Here we go. He says, Rosetta Stone's crosswalks, as opposed to Esperanto unification, are needed to extend planning across functions, BUs, business units, and LOBs lines of business. There will never be one forecast that everyone agrees on, but reconciling forecasts is needed for organizational alignment. Please unpack, Mr. Dixon. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's it's that notion that there there can never be just one forecast, you know, for for an organization, and and that was the you know the reference to Esperanto, right, which was never a popularly adopted language, uh, but you know the 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 point of Esperanto was a new language to try to unify all the languages in the world and see if everybody can speak Esperanto. Now, you know, we all know in the business world, the de facto uh, language is English. Uh, but, uh, and that's what everybody's, you know, been, been uh, standardizing to. But the point, though, is we still have local languages. We still have, you know, differences. Uh, and, and that's what the Rosetta Stone represents, right, is, you know, all the different languages together on one stone and then being able to, you know, cross-reference those to understand, you know, what, what the commonality is. And what I'm suggesting here is that you've, you know, each function finances a different, you know, forecast in the marketing department, uh, lines of businesses will have their different forecast because they're in different businesses. They're in different markets. They have different data and the data, you know, is, is really what powers these models. And, and so when we talk about, um, you know, creating organizational alignment. It really is trying to understand each other's models. So if, if one organization is using and collaborating with machines to generate, then, you know, it, it's going to be a tall order for the rest of the organization to be able to understand that and, and tie back to that. Uh, and so we have to develop a common language, common culture, a common approach. And then, you know, back to uh, process point around the experimentation. This isn't, you know, finance likes to wait for things and, oh, just prove everything's, you know, the technology got to be proven out. I want a, like a guaranteed ROI and, and, you know, I want certainty, right, around this stuff. By the time you get to that certainty, you're going to be obsolete. You know, the, you're not going to be able to catch up. It's not just the technology perspective. It's the culture. It's the people. It's the process. You've got to build all of that over time and you have to start getting into it now to be ready there, you know, in, in the future and be able to compete. So, uh, so that being said, this, this, it's, a, it's a messy, you know, uh, situation that we're in, but we have to start building crosswalks, you know, uh, and, and language crosswalks and cultural crosswalks uh, to, 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 you know, address the new, the new world that we're living in. That was lovely. Rosetta Stone crosswalks and Esperanto unification and messy. Some really good picture words in there, David. <laughs> I, I appreciated that. That was very, very clever the way you did that. Let's go around the table. Pras, thoughts on what David just shared? Yeah, I'm going to have to look up Esperanto as soon as we're done this call. And maybe it's <laughs> a new hobby of mine. But uh, um, yeah, just, um, you know, what I'm thinking is, I mean, Dave made some great points. I'm wondering if we can add to it in the sense that you're right, there might not be a lot of commonality at times, but I'm wondering if there's ways to increase commonality or increase, 
unification. And that might be a common data source. We know that data deposit, data repositories exist all through organizations, different siloed systems or whatnot. But with the modern technology, you can have real-time access to your ERP. You can have a common data warehouse where maybe everybody accesses the same data. And maybe they can have some dependencies across each other. So, you know, I think I started earlier in, in with the statement that we know everybody plans. We know that marketing plans, sales plans, operations plans, and we know finance plans. I mean, that's why we're here. Uh, but as, you know, for example, as sales creates a sales target, maybe marketing has access to the sales target. And as they're building their campaigns, their budget, so they're doing it in an intelligent manner. They're saying that, hey, if sales is forecasting these trends across these channels and this is what they're committing to, this is we, what we as marketing can do to support these sales numbers because we have access to that. Uh, you know, there's an SNOP process. Operations can look at that sales process as well and say, okay, this is what we have to hire out to, or this is what we have to source out in terms of commodities and, you know, create in our manufacturing capacity in terms of demand and such to support sales. Uh, maybe HR can look at that data as well because they have access to this common data framework and effectively say, okay, well, this is what our hiring pattern has to be for next year in terms of sales or onboarding. This is what we have to do with for the risk of attrition because this is what our organization is committing to. And finance can access all this data to build a better plan. So, um, you know, just something to think about. It might not be a common language, but just common data points that everybody works towards, works with at least. Thank you very much. And I have to do this. Brian, just give me a second here before we call on you. Esperanto is the world's most widely spoken constructed international auxiliary language created by Warsaw-based ophthalmologist L.L. Zamenhof. David, 1887 was when he created it, intended to be a universal second language for international communication or the international language. He first described it in Dr. Esperanto's International Language, which he published under the pseudonym Doctoro Esperanto. Early adopters liked the name Esperanto and soon used it to describe his language. The word Esperanto translates into English as one who hopes. How's that? You like that, David? Did I do okay? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't yeah. reading it. I just knew it. I, I, <laughs> I have this amazing brain here with all these algorithms, and I just say radio show, Esperanto, find it, and I did. Brian, you're up. Rescue me. Pras, we're almost out of time, so we're not going to get to your statement, but we'll do a quick uh, predictions wrap-up. Brian, go ahead. Two minutes, please. Sure, absolutely. So first of all, uh, I'm shamelessly going to borrow, because steel is an ugly word, uh, two things that David said, not taking anything away from Praz, is that yes, pink elephants are now in my my uh, my vocabulary. Uh, I did know what Esperanto was, but I, just, I think it, it was because like one of my children had a class in it, and I had to learn about it a, a number of years ago. But I really, really love the Rosetta Stone v. Esperanto um, uh, statement. And because I really believe what's changed in the world is this idea of having any kind of system that's going to work soup to nuts is not going to happen, right? I think we had that belief for a number of years. Well, maybe we can develop one system, a uniform platform that can do everything. And I think it's much more what Pras was talking about is, is if you talk about having just multiple <clears throat> data sources, right? I know a company that's got 400, I'm not, 104 different financial applications, right? The idea of trying to unify that onto one is insane in my opinion. So the idea is, can we create a way, a communication tool, a Rosetta Stone to take all of the pieces and use them? So again, yes, the goal I think is to have this single source of the truth, right? I think we can have that. We, we have in some kind of repository, and i first person to tell you, I'm not a tech person, I'm a finance person. 
But the idea that all of our data, right, structured, unstructured, internal, external, we talk Bronto bytes now, 10 to the 27th power, in one location. And then we all take the pieces that we want to do the analysis. And the, but because you have a single source, the fact that we don't will be will be spending much less time on what the number is and much more time on what the number means and the way that we'll be able to communicate is through that rosetta stone rather than have a single platform um, and again I, what i really am excited about and so i'll slide into my prediction a little bit early but it's just technology's changed so much i really encourage all of our listeners the the big thing so I get excited, I'll stop. But the big thing is that the advances that we have in technology are never going to come from IT. They're never going to solve a problem for you. So the onus is on all of us, and I think it's true for all four of us. We're not tech people, we're finance people. But now we, the onus is on us to participate in forums like this, to hear about what the technology is out there, and to explore on ourselves. Just real quick, we were at a, again, we were at a conference last week. I don't know, were there 50 vendors there, guys? You know, they all have different solutions, but none of them are coming from our IT people that would say, oh, you should look at product X or product Y or product Z. Brian, perfect way to cap off our topic, which was technology is not the entry point to getting this done. It's process, it's change, it's people, it's mindset, everything. I, I want to quickly, you did your prediction and thank you. Very well done. David, that was a wonderful statement with the Esperanto and the Rosetta Stone. Very, we don't usually get such poetic, prosy statements on shows like this. So bravo <laughs> to you. Do you want to do a quick prediction? Uh, I'm going to let David go and then perhaps we'll wrap up with you. David? Yeah. 60 yeah, seconds. No. If we met one year from today, would we still be talking about this? Yes or no? And how? One minute. Go ahead. Yeah, no, we will be. But we'll, we'll be going beyond scenario planning and look at scenarios to optimization. And we'll be asking the computer and the, the horsepower that's going to come with, you know, full circle quantum computing in the next five years, where we, the, the computer will optimize these things and make decisions and then present those and present how it came up with it you know, to us to help educate us on like, you know, what, what it's doing, but we're not going to be able to keep up with the computer uh, and that it'll just be playing catch up, but they'll be optimizing, not just scenario planning, the different decisions to make. Thank you. Press 60 seconds prediction. Go. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, um, I think a year from now or two years from now, if we meet to have a talk about finance transformation, we're not going to be talking about the technologies. Technology is going to be there. It's available. I mean, it's already on that path. Rather, I think the future is in people that can work with organizations uh, at a holistic level, at a high level from the CFO onwards, and really talk about how and really map out a process where finance transformation is both the people and the processes, because um, the technology is already there, and how that can help your organization really change the structures, move away from where you are now to where you could be, and optimize things so that you know, effectively you're making better decisions. Thank you very much. And Brian, you lumped me in. You said all four of us in finance, not tech people. I am a tech nerd. So well, I'll, I'll extricate my butt. I was very honored to be included in the four of when you said that. So thank you very much. Pras, this was a, a great topic. Thank you so much. And thank you to Brian and David. And I'm going to do my closing. But first, we want to say thank you to Gabe, our engineer at Voice America Business. Thank you, Gabe, for getting us on the air. I know we've got about 60, oh, about 30 seconds left. So I'm going to do my closing. Here we go. And Pras, I hope you're predicting that you're coming back next year for season 12 because i'm counting on that there is so much to talk about on this that's not just oh what's a spreadsheet i'm sorry we had to say that okay or at least i did here we go fasten your seatbelt. and bonnie d signing off fasten your seatbelt. what are you waiting for 
Go out and be a game changer today, just like Press Chatterjee at SAP, just like Brian Kalish at Kalish Consulting, and just like David Dixon at Truqua, an IBM company. Bonnie D signing off for another very interesting. You always surprise me with these topics, Press. They're always so lively. Finance, what? Yes, listen in. This is Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Everybody have a great day. Wave goodbye and guests stick around. Bye-bye. Gabriel. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.